Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start. So, Jesus, I just ask that um, you would show up in a fresh and powerful way today. Lord, would you just uh, move on the hearts of people? Uh, would you share what you want shared? And Lord, help me to, to discern um, what your will is, your good and pleasing and perfect will. Lord, I love this body and I thank you for this team and just thank you for um, the time and place you've called us to do life and to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray, amen. amen. Well, hey, she said, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If you're visiting us online, glad you're here. I'm glad uh, you're here in person. Lots of new faces and regulars, so it is so great to be here. One thing I wanted to include, next week is Baptism Sunday. We're gonna do baptisms and potluck. So there's gonna be a baptis, uh, baptism service. My little girl Naomi gave her life to Jesus last Sunday, so she is, Woo! yeah. <clears throat> it was just, just kind of spontaneous. We already had the baptism plan, so it worked out great. So we're gonna do that. So if you or anyone that, that you know maybe been walking with Jesus and you're like, hey, I've been walking with Jesus my whole life, but I was baptized when I, uh, when I was a baby, but I kinda wanna go deeper, not, Maybe that's not a pun for like deeper in the water than just like sprinkled or something, but if you wanna go deeper or if you say, hey, I've given my life to Christ and I've never done that, or maybe you're like, hey, I wanna re-up, or hopefully people will come next week and just on the spot jump in their underwear and they'll surprise us all and then we'll have a big <laughs> baptism hoedown. So what we're gonna do is we're going to have a baptism and potluck to follow. Potluck means everyone brings a dish. So if you're gonna eat, please bring something. Um, the church is gonna provide plates and drinks and stuff like that, all the plasticware. But um, so if everyone could bring a dish to share, it'd be awesome, it's gonna be so much fun and we'll just eat and chill. It's great, no Bengals game next week so you, you have no reason to rush out of here because they don't play till Sunday night. So, all right. Um, we live in a world where we don't have a total understanding of why things happen. Why bad things seem to happen to good folks really often. Like things that happen when we're getting ready to, to deliver a pizza and you get a call that your dad, who's 42 years old, had a stroke. Or the call in a staff meeting when a good friend takes a life. Or maybe that day you're just driving home from work at five o'clock and it's curtains. Or you're looking on social media and you see a close friend's child died in a car wreck. Or maybe it's learning someone somewhere you love, you trusted with a big investment that it's gone poof, gone belly up. You saved your whole life and now you're at the day when you thought uh, you'd retire. You're on the eve of that and there's nothing left. Or maybe you walked in on a spouse with someone that wasn't you. Or maybe you thought your job and performance was great and you're fired right before Christmas or you're just fired. You lose it all. Or maybe that someone you thought was a really close friend was more than a flatterer and they were a traitor. We live in a flawed world. I mean, we live one full of human trafficking. There's more people in slavery now than there were during the abolition period in Europe, in the U.S., there's more people, we live the 20th century, there was more people that died in the 20th century than all other centuries combined, through war and violence. I mean, we live in a world where there's holocausts, 
where there's the Dalit in India, the, the no-class society. And millions and millions of people live not even below the poverty line, but barely at the sustenance, make it till tomorrow line. I mean, we've seen stuff like Stalin, Hitler, Idi Amin. We've seen communism. We've seen these things, and we've lived in a world of corrupt leaders where there's cancer, where there's AIDS, where there's HIV, where there's school shootings all the time, where 127 people died in a soccer game yesterday in Indonesia. The world is full of hatred, and we live in a world where the problem of pain is real. And if we're gonna talk about Jesus everything, we gotta talk about everything. Because if we want Jesus in every stuff, we don't just want him in our church services or in our email lessons that we take home or our house groups or on our app that we read when we wake up or when we're going to the bathroom. We want Jesus in everything. And we all wonder at times, if you haven't yet, you will, why is this happening? Why does this hurt so bad? What did I do? Why isn't this changing? C.S. Lewis and his masterpiece, and I say masterpiece of like top 10 books to read before you die, read the problem of pain. He says, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, and believing people suffer. He said, but why some do not? Because for those who are suffering, the question's always, why me? Why me? Either side of the coin you choose to look at, humans have been, have been asking this question since the beginning. And um, it's something that plagues us all, that we, we, we all, at some point in time, are gonna ask or be asked. In the book of Job, talks about this. Have you ever heard of the book of Job? One time Carla and I were at Playhouse in the Park and they were doing the Bible. And they said, now we're gonna do the funniest parts of the book of Job. And they just went on. Job's a horror story. Job's a book of abject misery. It seems like a divine comedy. It seems like chess pieces are in play. And there's just this cosmic war in, between good and evil, God and Hasatan, and Job's just this guy caught in the middle. And um, Job's a tragedy. Job is said by some or many to be the oldest book in the Bible, the first one written, probably. Not necessarily from a historical standpoint, but when it was actually written. Job was, um, we can kind of date it because there's no mention of the law. The uh, geography seems to possibly predate the flood, how he talks about things. And then also, um, it's somewhere between the flood and patriarchal times, which is, we know from like Noah up to like Abraham and such. In the language, it's written in a very early form of Hebrew slash Akkadian and Sumerian. Those are very old languages. Job is the first book that's written, and, and, and what we know knows the Ketuvim. Say Ketuvim. Ketuvim. Look at your neighbor and say Ketuvim. Ketuvim. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say Tanakh. <laughs> Give it a like your Tanakh. All right, Tanakh. So, um, so like, and I've said this a couple times. So, so 
So the Ketuvim is the section of the Bible called the writings. All right, this is kind of the um, history books of the Bible. And so Job's in there, uh, like in the poetic stuff. And, like the, uh, um, and so Job is this book um, that the Bible, how it's arranged is not always chronological. So they put the first five books, like the Torah in the beginning, the, um, the Torah, the Ketuvim, and then the uh, Nevi'im, which is like the prophets and truth. And they kind of put them right like that. So they have the Ketuvim in the middle between the Torah, the Torah and like the Nevi'im. So we kind of don't lay it out chronologically because you're saying, how could Job be first? Just it seems like it's first just by how it's written. That's not very important. But what's important is Job is one of the earliest books we have on hand in human history. And Job deals with the problem of pain. Job deals with the problem of suffering. It deals with unjust suffering. It deals with how you can, you can try to be a good guy, a good person, a good dad, a good husband, and then in one fell swoop, it can all come crashing down. And then three stooges who you think are your best bros show up and they sit with you for seven days, seem like the most compassionate guys, and then they have this vitriol, this diatribe that just lambasts you and tells you what a loser you are and why you deserved it. And this book has, um, tackles a lot of stuff like good advice, bad advice, justice, injustice, suffering, and the why, 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 why myriad questions that so many of us have. This book, this book has been pivotal in my personal development as a follower of Jesus in my Jesus everything journey. The problem, is pain, the problem of pain has been a very prevalent one in my life, as I've shared a, a few times. And I'm gonna share more in detail today because I was thinking about in the series Jesus Everything, and Barry did a great job last week about sharing about you know, God and my laughing, God and my weeping, God and my hurting, God and my healing. And not because he didn't address it well enough, but just because I felt like it was important to share how Jesus became everything to me in my hurting and my healing. And, um, you know, we do our best to tackle these things with philosophy, with theology, with poetry, or mute the questions. Mute the stuff, love us mute by shooting up, snorting up, looking up, beating up. We do all kinds of things to try to um, either answer the question or deny it, right? We, we, we do our best. And Job was, like I said, considered the best guy in the world at his time. But for some reason, that's never answered in the book. God allowed the devil to test his piety and faithfulness by means of torture, of separation, maiming and leveling this guy's, even his wife said, curse God and die. Even she wanted nothing to do with him. His business was lost, all was lost. And we see a similar story with Jesus when he encounters Satan. Satan is a title, not a name. It's Hasatan. Hasatan means like, like the accuser or the evil one. Ha is Hebrew for the. Satan is the accuser or the dark one, the foul one, depending on the 
connotations. I grew up, we called him the foul one. Just like the Jews wouldn't say the name of, of God as Yahweh, they also wouldn't say the name of the devil or Lucifer. They would call him Hasatan, which was the foul one. You kind of want to stay like in the middle lane. So they didn't invoke the name above every name, and they didn't invoke like the name under even that pile your dog laid in the yard. So you just called him the foul one, or the stank one, or the nasty one, whatever you want to call him. He deserves it. Um, and Jesus, we even see, is tempted. And then later on in his life, Jesus has the problem of pain where he asks, why? So if you ask why, if your life, or at some season of your life, has just sucked, and it's just been abject misery, torture, pain. Or maybe you're that person that's like me. That like, you just grew up and you're like, why were they dealt this hand and I was dealt this one? Maybe that's you. And you say why. And it's easy to feel bad, the pity party. Feel bad for yourself. It, it really is. Jesus even said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why am I in this pain? I went through all this and now you're turning your face from me. Why? Why are you doing this? Does anyone ever just feel screwed? Being honest. Anyone ever just feel like you took your shot and you missed or everyone else got the shot and you never did? And anyone ever maybe thought that the big man in the sky messed it up? I mean, if God is supposed to be good, why has he rewarded me with all these problems and all these people that are terrible? Why can I lead my best or good life and be a good person and still get just jacked in the end? I mean, what happens when our morals fail, when our philosophy fails, when our theology fails, when our bank account fails? when our family construct fails? What happens when someone we love or trusted tragically or suddenly gets removed either by choice or by no choice of ours? Is God to blame? I mean, I've, I've often wondered like, um, by what policies or methods is God running the universe? And I'm not trying to stir you or deter you today. I'm not trying to move you away from God. I'm just being real frank with just real stuff. Because we live in a real world. And you guys don't need some mumbo, pumbo, jumbo, holly, Pollyanna crap. These are real questions. These are things we deal with. And if we haven't, we will. And maybe some of you have been dealing with them your whole life. Like what is God inferring through our pain, loss, tribulations, hurting, rejection, shame? Is he real? And if he is real, is he aloof? Is he cruel? Is he cold? Is he unjust, spiteful, caustic? Or are we just mere lab rats? 
How can I, and maybe you're even thinking, how can I go all in on Jesus everything when I have these questions that are really unanswered in the dark recesses of my heart, in the front of my mind, if I'm being real honest? How can I make someone everything that I don't know if they think anything of me? And I've just looked up, I, I just remember times in my life where I've like, do you freaking care, Jesus? Do you care? Are you, are you close to me? How are you the God of comfort when I feel so uncomfortable, when my skin feels like it's burning, when my mind won't stop, when I can't stop this thing I'm about to do again and again? The issue is not the pain I face, but it's why would God allow it? feels like he's turned away. So I wanted to share with you my story today of how I went all in with Jesus. Because like I told you, I got saved when I was 14, gave my life to Jesus, but my life started a lot earlier and that started 14 years earlier. I was born to parents that had a lot of problems and challenges, they were very young. Um, and I've told this before, but it's salient for those of you who never heard. So my parents were young, kind of hippies, uh, met, you know, got pregnant with my sister in high school, and then I came next, and then my brother came very soon after, and my parents were a disaster. Drugs from, one from a Jewish family, one from a Catholic family. It was a hot mess, and there was a lot of um, brokenness, and I um, went into foster care. And when I went into foster care, it was the worst time of my life. I went in, went in there, and um, I was tortured, I was beaten, uh, sexually abused, raped, and it was horrible. And that happened when I was very little. And I can remember it, stuff you shouldn't remember when you're little. And there's that verse in Song of Solomon where it says, don't awaken love till it so desires. Well, when you're one and two and three and you're taught about sex, you kind of get on a track a little kid shouldn't be on. And um, my life got very marred by sexuality. I had a very skewed, broken sense of myself. I lived so much of my life trying to hide, um, hide who I am, hide, hide who I was. I had these burning desires deep down as a little kid that were really messed up. I developed a really bad stutter at a young age. I was very violent. I was a very broken kid. And um, as I've tried, 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 I've just wondered why would Jesus allow me to go through that hell on earth. And then when you got that target on you, people come after you again. So it's like every person who could abuse a kid wound up, I just had a sign that said like, please abuse me. And as I got older, the way I would cope was I would either cave in someone's face or I would act out. And that became what became a long addiction for me with pornography. And I struggled with that for a long time, looking at pornography. Not ashamed, I mean, I'm very ashamed to say it, but I'm not proud of it, but it's what my story was. And I remember years went by and this dragged into my marriage and it nearly sabotaged my marriage and my life and uh, ministry. And I remember years in my life, I remember one day just crying out to Jesus. And the point is not, feel bad for Ryan or what I went through. The point is, I just remember one day I had this kairos about, I just looked at Jesus and I was so mad. 
and I remember where I was, and I just, uh, I said, I don't understand why I can't stop this. I don't understand why I want to, I want to, I want to, I can't. I love my wife, I love my kids, I, I don't wanna be this. I can't stop. And then I just kind of went further back and I'm like, Lord, why? why? And then I, then I got started getting pissed, started getting really mad at God. And I said, God, why would you let me go through something when I was a baby? Why would you let me go through something that now has set me on a trajectory in my life where I feel like a monster and I can't stop? So the very thing you let happen to me is the very thing that can separate me from you. Why would you let this happen? Why, why, why? And I thought, you allowed an innocent person to suffer. And here I am. And now you judge me. Now you convict me to stop, but I don't know how to stop. And you convict me to quit, but I don't know how to quit. And that day I learned something that was catalytic for me in my Jesus everything journey. He said, I won't tell you why, but I'll tell you what. And he hasn't and probably will never tell you or me why as we suffer, but he will tell us what. And he said, my grace is sufficient. And what else he showed me that day was beautiful is I received a picture of worship. I received a picture in worship of um, of a memory of being at, around this table when my grandparents are telling my parents to put us into foster care, which I'm thinking, who as grandparents does that? And um, I just remember this picture of my mom holding me and weeping, very young, very confused, very unsure, you know, like barely not a teenager. And I remember, I see Jesus just shows me He's standing there and he's weeping. He's weeping over my parents, my grandparents, generations. See, there's generational sin. This stuff's real. Sometimes you do stuff you do and you didn't, you didn't, have, a, you didn't have a choice in it. You just have generational stuff. Like why, why is everyone in my family a drunk? Or why is everyone in my family, you know, this or that? Or why are some people, like their whole family's rich or, you know, whatever. It's like famous. It's like, why? There's generational stuff. And in my brokenness, I felt the Lord push on my heart and say, my grace is sufficient. He said, but what if you're looking at this thing all wrong? You think this can keep you from everything. He said, what if the disease is the cure? What if this thing that seems like it's marred, that it's um, defined, that it's underscored your whole life, he said, what if this very thing that the enemy is meant for bad, I mean for good? Because the God who says, I want you to pray without ceasing, he probably didn't write that to exaggerate. I think he wanted us to be able to pray without ceasing. So 
I went through counseling, and I learned how to um, be real and be honest, and I learned some tools, and I went to a group called MHS, Men's Healthy Sexuality, men, if you're dealing with sexual addiction and you can't quit looking at porn or quit flirting or quit cheating or you're, you know, have other self-soothing uh, behaviors that are compulsive, we're starting a group here in January or late January, early February. And there's gonna be a group for wives too if you've been affected by it or women that are also wrestling with a sim- similar thing. And in this group, I learned the secret power of actually journaling. That I could actually go to Jesus and I could write down the crap that was going around it, like in my head and festering out of my soul, and, and I could share it with some other brothers who were dealing with similar stuff, and I wasn't, I wasn't rejected, because I spent my entire life basically running from one rejection to another and on a loop and a cycle that I would self-sabotage. I mean, anyone there, anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, whether you overeat or you undereat or you throw up after you eat or, you know, like I said, all the different stuff that we do that we'll, we, I'm never gonna do it again, never gonna do it again, never do it again. Your knuckles get so white, you look like Casper and then like, then you go do it again and then you sink low and you're back on the cycle and then you never gonna do it again and maybe it gets a little longer but then you binge and then you tank and then you drink again or you fall again and it's like, it just becomes this vicious cycle where you're like, no matter what, I, like Paul says in Romans, he's like, I do the things I don't wanna do. I don't want any of this, but I can't stop it either. And Jesus said, what if that disease is the cure? What if this very thing that's always limited you and defined you, what if I turn it on its head and it's the thing that draws you to pray to me nonstop? Because as you're facing these feelings of addiction, these feelings of acting out or this old friendly behavior, this old nonsense that you've given your life to, that you've become a slave to, because let's face it, you're a slave, I'm a slave to whatever's mastered us, okay? So whatever we can't stop owns us. And that's where Jesus turned my disease into my cure. He's like, why don't I show you how to slam this thing on its face? And why don't I show you how to pray? Because I don't want you just praying this little thing five minutes when you're driving into the office in between the sports radio commercials. Or I have something better for you. What, what if I'm gonna teach you all day long how to commune with me, how to listen to me, how to hear my voice, how to be reminded of who I am and who you are? Because all the stuff you've been believing, Ryan, through this addiction and this brokenness and this bad start to a life you got is not from me. It's not from me. But he says, I can fix it all. I did and I will if you'll let me. I will fix every drop of it, I'll heal all of it, I'll go back to the deepest recesses of your mind to every drop of pain, and I'll never tell you why that happened, but I will show you what I will do with your life if you'll let me fill you and you let me free you. If you'll trust me. And it's hard when you're put in that situation when you're abandoned and then abused, it's hard to trust anyone. I had a very hard time trusting any authority in my life. But then I met people like, like my good friend Rob McGillivray, who you've heard before, or my good friend Chuck Moore, who you're gonna hear in a couple months, or my good friend Mike Breen, or my friend Kuzan Vandenberg, who we support, who planted the first vineyard church in Latvia. And there's just these wonderful brothers. And praise God for my precious wife. Yeah, St. Carla, yeah, yeah. 
And Carla's mom and family. I mean, her, her family became the family I always wanted, but I never had. And it's like, and Jesus has loved me through my junk, and he will with yours. So you might feel like, I don't even know how to make Jesus anything, let alone everything. It's like this stuff is the pathway to peace. It's like in our pain and our suffering and our sorrow, like, like Barry talked about last week is wisdom. He says, you know, he talked about in Proverbs about lean not on your own understanding and God will make your path straight. We'll skip ahead. That's in Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter eight is all about wisdom and wisdom's chokmah. Say chokmah. Yeah, there you go. Like you're getting, maybe that kind of, you know, as the seasons are changing, that hakma was nice. That was a gift to you this morning. Um, <clears throat> it's wisdom, hakma means order. Do you know the wisdom of God when we don't lean on our own understanding? He can make order even of the messiest, most chaotic, disastrous garbage of our lives. Jesus is a dumpster diver. Jesus is a dumpster diver who will go into the messiest, snottiest, rattiest, nastiest house, life, place, family, and he will bring restoration. Yeah. Because that's what he's like. He's the son who looked at his dad and said, why? And God said, because of this, Jesus, everyone's gonna get to come if they want to. And I'm gonna let you come back in three days. But you're gonna have to trust me with this. You're not gonna be able to see how this ends. I won't show it to you yet, but I will. Even like Jesus said to his disciples, he's like, don't ask me that question. I don't know if you can sit there and I don't know when he's coming back. Jesus didn't know that end. God had withheld from me, but he said, son, you gotta trust me. And son, daughter, today he's saying, you gotta trust me. And not only that, he's saying, you can trust me. Because I was there when your mom and your dad were languishing, and I wept too as your mom wept. When I saw that picture of Jesus weeping. And I thought powerful was that he would stop it. And maybe so. But I get to stop it now. You know, my wife, and she's doing this vine dresser clothing and kin shop, and we've been foster parents, and we've adopted, and so we don't beat up babies or sexually abuse them, so we get to stop it on some level. Yeah. Listen, there's nothing more important than this church will ever do than worship our guts out and pray like he's coming back in five minutes and make disciples, but to be disciples first and to love the unlovable. That's, that's the game. That's all we're gonna do on a loop. We might not be flashy, we not, might not be sexy, we might not be you know, skinny jeans, big screen, smoke machine sort of place. <laughs> but we're gonna be real and we're about the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is good news. Yeah. It's good news for people from the greatest of families into the worst. It's good news because it's real because at some point in time, we're all gonna have our Job experience where we just look at the crux of it and we look in the mirror and we're like, how did this happen?
And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and Paul said this too, when Paul said, I had this thorn in the flesh, this thing I couldn't get away from, was it an injury, was it an addiction, was it a tormentor, was it a demonic thing? We don't know. We just know Paul hated it and he couldn't get away from it. And the Lord said this to him, my grace is sufficient for you My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. So I don't have it all together. I don't. I don't. I'm not the best pastor. I'm not the best dad. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best disciple. But I'm just a dude. I want Jesus to be everything and I want him to just move through my life because I got nothing left. I got no other move. I got no other hope. And um, so the stuff that's been very embarrassing, I don't, it's not fun getting up in a room full of people and saying, hey, I was a porn addict. It's scary to open up your chest. That's why I'm not doing it till 18 months because you just don't like, you know, show, that's, you don't expose yourself that much on the first date. You know, it's like, that's when you're kind of more in covenant with people that you share that stuff. But my stuff is, you know, it's his stuff. And he's using it for his glory. And so I'm not trying to hide my weaknesses. I'm not trying to hide um, what I need because he, he's, he's got it all. And he loves us and he's with us. And you know, so I wanna encourage you in life. I think a lot of us can struggle between these two poles of we're either an optimist or a fatalist? Do you know really successful people in business, in ministry, and just even being a a person that functions well are realists? They're realists. You can be hopeful yet aware. We don't have our heads in the ground, not thinking there's evil or disaster or stuff that we gotta be aware of. Paul says we're not outwitted by the enemy's schemes. But the same day, we're not always like, oh, the world's falling, it's all coming down, it's all, we're all gonna die. No joke. Like, we're all gonna die. And Jesus said, because the increase of wickedness, the love of most is gonna grow cold. But guess what, he's coming back and he wins. Yeah. And our disease is the cure. The sin disease is the cure. Jesus let the infection go loose. We picked it and he let it go. But now it's the very thing that he's using to draw us to himself because our recognition of the disease is the only thing that gets us to the cross. See, the cross is full of people, the world is full of people that just haven't recognized the cross yet. Everyone's got a sin disease. Some people were born in good families, bad families. Some people are in jail, and some people are like in Indian Hill. There's like this like in between somewhere, but we all have a sin disease, and we all need Jesus, and Jesus will use every drop of it to cure our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our ministries, our world, if we'll let his glory shine through our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and hope. God will rescue, reset, and restore us and give us hope if we'll let him into those dark spaces. Maybe the very thing you've been most afraid to let Jesus into. Maybe you walk in here every day, every Sunday, and you're like, oh, it's all great, but something in your life is 
an unmitigated disaster. Don't walk in here like that. Don't walk into your house group like that. Don't walk in to fellowship like that. We take communion to like just expunge that stuff and express that stuff, but also it's, it's, it's a safe place. And you're like, well, I don't feel that safe. Well, go to CR, go to MHS, go to AA. Come see one of the pastors on staff. We wanna help love people back to health. He is and can be everything if you want him to in your life. He can. And we all stumble in many ways. So if you're like, well, I'm just a poor rotten sinner. Well, welcome to the poor rotten sinners club of whom I am the chief I just told you today, okay? And I believe Jesus is using my pain and my limp and my loss and my shame to, now I don't have to hide it or try to impress people or whatever, but he's using it to bless me and bless others. I can be really patient with people that are really stuck, but I'm also really passionate about holiness because it honors the Lord and it's the only way forward is that we would yield our lives to him so we can live in that balance. We can be a church with stinking sinners and whitewashed saints because really whitewashed saints are just stinking sinners that have the touch of Jesus on their lives, aren't they? That's all it is. I'm gonna wrap up with this. C.S. Lewis says this also in The Problem of Pain, one of the 10 books to read before you die list. Pain is unmasked, unmistakable evil. Every man knows that something is wrong when he is being hurt. And pain is not only immediately recognizable evil, but evil impossible to ignore. We can rest contentedly in our sins and our stupidities, and anyone who has watched glutton shoveling down the most exquisite food as if they did not know what they were eating, we will all admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The disease is the cure. I learned that I'm deaf by my deafness, by knowing that everyone else can hear. I learned that I'm blind by not being able to see. I learned that I'm in, I learned that I'm in pain by at one time having been well or you see other well people. Jesus will use whatever it takes to conform us to the image of our glory, uh, image of his glory and to, and to rectify the rights that'll be wrong. So every wrong in this world will be swallowed up someday. And God is an avenger. He's a defender. He will contend with those who contend with us. And those people who hurt me when I was little, if they never find Jesus, I would not want to stand in front of him. I hope they do. I pray a blessing on you guys. Lord, bless those young men. Bless them into your kingdom. And if they're still doing that, just, just release them, God. But the Lord can free us and he's closer than we think. You're not screwed, you're not hated, you're not blighted, you're not forgotten, you're not left out. And we'll end on this and then my wife's gonna come up and share something. And then we're gonna pray today. And I don't want you to rush out of here. Like I said, the Bengals aren't playing. Well, they are, no, they're not playing today because they played Thursday, so don't rush out of here today. So Lord set this up perfectly. I'm, 
some of you are thinking, I don't even care about football. Why do you, I, I've got idols in my life. I'm still at work in progress, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 1, and 23 says this. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body in the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus everything. It's not Jesus part of our lives. It's not Jesus add-on. It's Jesus everything or Jesus nothing. So if you are in a really sour place right now and you're really broke down, you're the truck up on blocks in the front yard that some of you might decorate your yards with down here in Kentucky. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, But if you're that... Jesus is looking at you and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those of you who are in pain. Blessed are you who are addicted. Blessed are you who are ignorant. Blessed are you who are famished. Blessed are you that are outcasted. He says, I'm real and I'm here. And while that pain is screaming loud, I'm screaming louder and I want you. Come up, my love. Or come down, whatever you want to stand. He's so faithful. Mic up. He is so faithful. Um, Do you know that every word that he has said to you will come to pass? Every single one. This morning, not even thinking about what Ryan was going to share, the Lord spoke something to me, and I thought it was just for me, but I think it's for everybody. He just reminded me. You know I move mountains, right? He moves mountains. He moves the seemingly impossible, gigantic, huge thing in front of you. And he picks it up and he throws it into the sea. And he moves it out of your way. And I know that we're not the only ones that has had a mountain in our life. I know that many of you do. And he wants to take it. Because that's what he does. He moves mountains. And I think that that's something that we just need to pray. Anybody that has a mountain in your life right now, no matter what it is, if it's an addiction, if it's anything, whatever it is that's huge and impossible right now, I think you need to stand up. And we need to pray as a, um, Ryan, if you just pray over everybody. And I know there's more than just one, more than just two. Everybody that has a mountain in your life, stand up and receive and believe that the Lord is going to do what he says he's going to do. Every word will come to pass. Lord, I thank you for your finger. Thank you for your hand. I thank you for your arm. You say your arm isn't too short to save. Lord, the hand of God that blesses like a father, Lord, and the finger of God that drives out foul things, Lord, you can save us, you can bless us, you can rescue us, you can destroy our enemies, 
in one fell swoop. So Lord, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that dunamis, that power, that dynamite, that one little stick that can blow a whole cliff down, Lord, that your one little finger can drive out all the garbage in our lives. Lord, I pray over everyone's lives right now, if it's a financial mountain, Lord, we bless it and we ask you to remove it, Lord, but we also know that sometimes, friends, the pathway to healing is the process. So Lord, let people, if they have massive debt, show them how to get out of debt. We're gonna start talking about that next week, Lord. Show people how to get out of debt. If people are addicted, Lord, let them help, just let them know they're not alone. Maybe you're weeping, maybe you've lost someone, or maybe you've lost lots of people, or you've lost lots of things, Lord. I pray that you would let people know that the lost are found. They're found in you. That, Lord, you heal the brokenhearted. You're close to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34, 18 says. Lord, you, the dear ones are the ones that um, lives are full of tears often. And they have other people that, Lord, if people today are abused, if you've been abused physically, emotionally, maritally, intimately, sexually, on the job, whatever, Lord, I just pray that you would start bringing healing to those wounds. If people are untrusting, Lord, we don't, even all the, the stuff that we deal with, we're not gonna get into that, I pray you would just start healing pain of people. Maybe you don't trust. Maybe you were abandoned by a parent or you were you don't know how to trust authority, so you have a really hard time with Jesus, Lord. I pray that you would start to remove that barrier. That's a mountain. That, Lord, that you would remove the barrier of what it's gonna look like if we give you it all. Are you just gonna leave us on the side of the road? Are you gonna drop us off to unsafe places too or unsafe situations or churches? Maybe there's someone here today, like you're just leaning back into church a little bit, but you've been really burned. Lord, would they be able to find a home here of people that love them gently and the enemy wouldn't give them cause for accusation? That, Lord, that you would just start pouring out your goodness on people's lives who've lost loved ones, who've lost friends, who've lost children, who have lost people to addiction, who've lost reputations. I just believe there's someone here today that maybe you made a really terrible bunch, bunch of mistakes, even like in your youth, and you're still kind of hiding from that reputation that you created by some really poor choices. Jesus wants to free you from that today. He doesn't look at you as that. He looks at you as his son or his daughter. Lord, would you pour out your goodness and your gladness on everyone here? Would you give people hope? Lord, I pray this would be a, a church where mercy triumphs over judgment. That Lord, we'd be a church of very sound principles and judgment and that lives by chokmah, but Lord, that we would be a church also that is founded in grace. That's founded in kindness, Lord, and humble spirits and gentle hearts and merciful desires. That we would have beautiful practices, Lord, that would nurse the weak and the wounded back to health in a place of victory, in a place of belonging, in a place of understanding, in a place of becoming. Lord, for the sick, people that have ailments in their body, autoimmune, cancer, heart issues, congenital things, brain issues, Lord, we just release healing today on this place. Release energy, even for people that just, I, like, I, I can't even get up half the time. Would you just give them energy? 
Lord, Colossians 1.29, to this end I labor, struggling with all of his energy or strength that so mightily works inside me, that Lord, that would become, maybe that's their Jesus everything moment, that they're gonna operate in your strength because their body energy just isn't there. Would you do new things? Make all things new. Lucas, if you wanna come on up. That your power is made perfect in our weakness. It shows how good you are. Would you be everything to us, to this church? That there be a, a shock wave sent across the bow of the foul one, showing him that you showed up today, and we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to be victims, we're victors. So, this gross narrative in our culture of just Victim, 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 Lord, that's not you. That's not the kingdom. Maybe we've been victimized, but Lord, you're a redeemer. So help us to chuck that and step into the life you have as victorious children and men and women of God. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. If you want prayer, teams are gonna be up at the front and they're gonna play. If you wanna, we'd love for you to still worship if you can. Mm.